0: Thousands of hydrogen then become a galaxy. The galaxy's information rules are such that it will create stars. The stars' information rules are such that it will create this stardust. And then stardust creates everything else, including us. It's all digital processing. Absolutely, totally amazing.
1: Welcome back to Mind Matters, everyone. Today, we are joined by Ken Peterson. Ken is a retired electrical engineer. He has a strong background in information processing, mathematics, and modern physics. And he's the author of two books. The book we're going to be discussing today is Modern Science Proves Intelligent Design, The Information System Worldview. It's a copy of the book right there. So we're you going to delve. <laughs> we're going to delve into this book um, first. Welcome to the show, Ken. It's a pleasure to have you on.
0: Okay, okay, pleasure to be here. I'm glad to be here.
1: All right. So we were just talking before the show on um, the story of how you kind of got into this. I'd mentioned that um, I kind of got into these topics about eleven years ago, reading a philosophy book actually um, by Thomas Nagel, Mind and Cosmos on um, t- Thomas Nagel, a famous atheist philosopher, who, like, um, is it Anthony Flew that you mention in the book? Um, who became a... Well, well Anthony Flew became a, de- uh, yes. a theist, um, but uh, Thomas Nagel didn't become a theist, but he wrote a book kind of totally dismantling and demolishing the materialistic worldview. So that kind of started me on this path, and then getting into some information theory, and, um, and in my own mind, trying to fit it all together. So could you give a little bit of background, or a little bit of inf- information on your background and how you how you came to the main ideas in this book.
0: Okay, sure. Uh, first of all, I'm a PhD in electrical engineering, which uh, is, for those who don't know, that's eight years of math and science, basically, throughout the 60s. I got my PhD in like 1970. But as I mentioned to you earlier, I, I did a lot of reading in philosophy, even in my high school years and, and in uh, college. So I got a scientific education and, and, and background in philosophy. And the philosophy at the time was all scientific materialism. The popular philosophy that they taught in college and taught in most about everywhere is that the universe is an accident. It's a meaningless accident and it's a meaningless materialistic accident. And uh, that is the foundation of atheism. So when I came out of college, I was a, I was a solid atheist. I was, I was absolutely committed. You know? <laughs> and I stayed that way for 25 years. Until I realized, and it came to a slow realization, probably similar to something you've been going through, that science itself had proven that uh, the design, they had discovered the structure of the universe. it so they discovered the structure of quantum mechanics, they discovered the structure of the, of the cell, and they discovered the structure of neurons in the brain. And all these things were digital processing systems. And the beauty and the complexity of all this was way beyond anything that could possibly be an accident. And that's not just a feeling, that's a mathematical fact. You go look at the DNA program. You know it's three point two billion instructions, which is equivalent to six point two digital six point two billion uh, digital instructions. And there is no way in the world that could accidentally happen. The probability of, of even finding proteins in your body is like you winning the Powerball lottery seventy million times in a row.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The math doesn't support an accidental universe at all. It just it just could not possibly happen. This realization came to me in my late 40s, and unfortunately, I'd raised three daughters and telling them I was an atheist, and they should be too. So then, I, so as as penance, I wrote the first book, which was Ginny's Universe, that explained the design, explained the design of the universe that the science had found in my lifetime, in 70, in the 70 years of my well, I 76, but in 70 years, science had found the design of the universe. I mean, there's a lot of things we don't know. We don't know what energy is, or what life is, or what consciousness is, but we know the design of the universe. Mm -hmm. And it was way too complex, and it was way too beautiful, and and curiously enough, it had nothing to do with matter. It's all Mm -hmm. information and and energy, all of it, all the way through, Mm -hmm. layers and layers of information processing. So anyway, make a long story endless here, I guess, you know, I was an atheist, and uh, I slowly (laughs) realized I was wrong. I wrote the first book for my daughters, never intended to publish it. A friend of mine who had published books uh, read it and and sent it to his agent. And then three weeks later, I had three offers to publish the book, which was Mm. kind of amazing. And it got published in England by O-Books. And it got published in Germany and in Poland, Mm. which I thought was pretty good for it. I actually wrote a a notebook to explain to my daughters why I had converted from atheism to intelligent design. That's my background. Oh, Oh. important. I retired from Raytheon. I was, uh, I was in charge of their advanced programs laboratory, which was a research and development laboratory. I had 800 people working for me for the last 15 years of my career. We did all the tactical missiles, well, 95% of the tactical missiles for this country, and uh, it came out of my lab. And so my background is really system engineering. People hear electrical engineers, they think I fix TVs or something. That's not true at all. <laughs> uh, it's, it's I'm a system engineer who works with technology to put together systems, and we worked on the most exotic systems in the world, and uh, it was a really exciting career.
1: Yeah, you describe in your book um, just a, you know a bit of that background and how it plays into the ideas in your book, and the just all the different technologies that have been developed over the past several decades like you mentioned and and you were at the you know researching with the researching and developing the top of the line systems in radar and um, like imaging and just pr- pretty much anything you could imagine you were working on so you've got this electrical engineering systems engineering background where you see the construction and the function of information processing systems so that's i, I think that that background allows you to allowed you to see The corollaries in the actual in the natural world and in the mind too. So in the
0: book, exactly. I mean, because I I, I'm going to amplify that point. I guess exactly right. In in, in my job, I had you know lots of engineers and scientists working for me. A lot of PhDs in science, physics especially, working for me. And a system engineering is almost the reverse of, of, of a scientist. A scientist gets specialized in one particular area and drills that down deep, deep, deep. And and we have to 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 make progress in that area, but it's a different worldview. It's a different perspective on life. System engineers, I, you know, I never designed a board, you know, but I designed systems. You, you go out there and look at the technology and put systems together. So mm-hmm. one, one person is looking at it from a reductionist standpoint, looking, trying to find the, the, the very most elemental pieces of that science. And the other person is looking at it from more of an emergent standpoint of how can you build a system? with it. mm-hmm. It's a very different perspective. It is people don't understand that, but it's a very different perspective. That's not to say there aren't generalist scientists. There are. But, I mean, there is a different perspective between a scientific method and system engineering. And you captured it very well just there. That's very impressive. Thank you.
3: Well, something that I find so interesting is that uh, we've been looking at another book um, called Evolution 2.0 by Perry Marshall, who is also… I've read read it. I've read that book, yes. So he's also an electrical engineer, as you know. That's his yes. background, and while he there's, foc- a theme.
0: there's a theme here, isn't there? <laughs> there certainly
3: is, uh, and and speaks so much to what you're saying about having this kind of step back, whole systems point of view, where you can use your knowledge of the technology that you've worked on to uh, apply that to how much larger things could work. Now, the thing is, while he focuses mainly on the discoveries and biology and DNA and cells and, and those subjects, you take an even broader view, Ken. And what I so appreciated about your book was how you apply this to uh, the macro, to galaxies. Uh, at one point, you say, galaxies are gigantic information processing systems. And i had never read that before, but it was always a question in the back of my mind. Because if, if ID is valid for Biological entities. Then why wouldn't it also apply to to much larger uh, systems of information? So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how galaxies are these gigantic information processing systems.
0: Let me start a little before galaxies for you. Okay, the thing that really convinced me, the thing that really just blew my mind when I finally realized it, was that the physicists had discovered quantum mechanics. And they discovered three essential quantum fields, the electron, the up quark, and the down quark. I'll, I'll get there, believe me. <laughs> but uh, the thing that blows your mind is there's no matter there. It's just energy. There's, no, there's nothing material there. It's energy and information. And the incredibly, incredibly beautiful thing is this digital information. The, the electron has about five variables, and they're all digital, charge and spin and so forth and so on. And so the up and down quark are the same. They have different variables, they have charge, but they have other things. I'm not going to go into physics. But my point is it is a digital information processing system. Now, here you've got these little tiny clouds, and they are tiny, that have digital information and they communicate with each other just like logic circuits in a computer. And they change, they change their information state. And by doing this, you know, they, they make protons and neutrons, the like quarks do, and then they make atoms, and atoms are actually little little digital computers all an atom does is monitor the state of its electron in its outer shell and that state can only be in very specific values and that's, that means it's a digitally quantized information processing system so, so these atoms monitor that state and they they exchange information with other atoms and with radiant energy so the so the interaction of atoms is a digital processing system and then you get to then some atoms can share electron and they, then you get molecules So the molecules are arrays of digital processing systems and and of atoms. So the entire world of of quarks and atoms and molecules are made by three layers of digital process. Very beautiful, very exact, very precise, very sophisticated, unbelievably complex digital processing systems. Mm -hmm. Now, what do they make? Well, the first thing they make is galaxies. And that's, so when you get a cloud of hydrogen and helium, the the laws of gravity are such that a galaxy is made now why do you have to make a galaxy well if there's a if you're thinking about why you got to make a galaxy you're going to design a universe hydrogen and helium are never going to do you any damn good at all they're just they're just little tiny atoms you've got to get to bigger atoms to make things like us the only way to get to bigger atoms is to smash them together in, in a fusion engine that's controlled by gravity galaxy <clears throat> the purpose of galaxies is to create stars I and mean, that should be obvious galaxies are made out of stars. The purpose of stars is to smash helium and hydrogen together to make all the atoms that we we live in in, our, in reality. And we got 92 stable elements and another 18 or 20 unstable elements, uh, elements they found. But you had to have stars to, to have to smash all this information together into this form. And once you get that form, those those atomic elements are an alphabet that you can build, build molecules with. Anyway, so. The beauty of the galaxies and the stars is they are absolutely necessary steps to get from quarks and atoms to stardust and planets. And, and they process the information. They actually, if you look at it from layers of processing, you, you get the quarks and you get the, and you get the protons and you get the hydrogen atom, then the clouds of hydrogen. And those are all different layers of sophistication. The clouds of hydrogen then be, become a galaxy. The galaxy's information rules are such that it will create stars. The stars information rules are such that it will create this stardust and then stardust creates everything else, including us. It's all digital processing. Absolutely, totally amazing. When I realized that I thought, Oh hell, I've been an atheist (laughs) all my life and I've been totally wrong. But anyway, Mm
1: -hmm. well, I want
0: to, sorry for making that answer longer than it had to be. No, that was not
1: at all. That was great. I want. I want to get back to something you said. Um, maybe get into some of the details for for some listeners that may not f- be familiar with um, some of the more some of the basic terms that you use, that like uh, like information and information processing and, and digital computing and things like that. Maybe I'll give my, my understanding, like the picture that forms in my head for for how to describe some of these basic things, and then you can tell me uh, um, what you think and if I'm if I'm totally wrong. Because you made you made a couple points. One about the 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 importance of discrete states. In, for instance, the atom, and also in the the subatomic particles like quarks and electrons, and about the the kind of um, the different characteristics that these subatomic subatomic particles have. Um, you mentioned things like like mass or spin or charge or whatever. So, there's a point in the book where you describe. Um, Kind of a chaotic, basic state in the universe, where just just like energy, chaotic energy, where there's nothing stable, nothing repeating. It's just uh, it's just a chaos, and then but it, so in order to have a stable universe, a cosmos, we need something that is repeatable and stable, and so this sure. is where this is where information comes into play because in a chaotic universe there is no information, um, and in well, order to have
0: there's, there's well, there's information, but it's not repeatable. I mean, it's, right. I mean, okay,
2: if,
0: if there were chaotic information, there would, there would be information about what's there. But the question is, can you build can you build something progressively more complex? Mm. and you cannot do that? well go ahead but but you can't do that unless you have discrete digital steps. They, they will not be repeatable, but go ahead.
1: right. so so within this chaotic information, to to build something stable like that, something more complex, you need you need characteristics. and the the way I've come to understand information from reading um, guys like Bill Dempsky is that um, one way of describing information is to say that it is, uh, well, he calls it, I think, a reduction of uncertainty. What that means, basically, to me is that out of all these possibilities, you have to reduce it to, to saying it is this and not all of those other things. So, for instance, with, uh, with, with uh, electrical charge, it's either going to be this or that, positive or negative, or... Or in an interaction between positive or negative where the charges cancel each other out, it's going to be zero. So you have positive, like plus one, minus one, zero. Those are the only three options you have. So so like you mentioned, it can't be a continuous um, thing. You can't have a, a, an infinite number of possible charges between those values because then there would be, there, because there, that raises exponentially, like infinitely exponentially, the possible number of combinations that you have, and it'll be very difficult to get anything stable and repeatable because you, no, you need no, it'll to be
0: it'd be impossible to be anything okay. stable. Right. It's just absolutely impossible. You have absolutely. to have discrete states. Right. That's why that's, that's why you look at the beauty of, of, of uh, quantum fields and atoms and and they're designed to have these discrete states. And that is the only design possible in the universe that we could give you repeatable things mm-hmm. that get and, and you need repeatable atoms. You need repeatable molecules to create anything larger.
1: hmm and what, and so that's what we see. We see at the at the smallest level what seem to be a very limited number of discrete states for these small part, these small subatomic particles. And then they combine, and you get uh, let's say an atom. And now you have a, um an additional number of discrete states in like the the orbital shells of the electrons. And that exactly leads right. that leads to a, uh, like an exponentially larger number of possibilities of atoms. And then those atoms, in their interactions, they have certain rules, like information-based rules. So if I interact with this, or like if that has this feature, I will interact in this way. If it doesn't have these features, I will not interact in this way. Yeah, right? Let me
0: interrupt. Right yes, yeah, that's right. But it's, it's they have a very simple rule. The outer shell is has, depending on the size of the atom, they have one, two, three, five, eight, eight electrons in it. But they can only exist at a very specific discrete state. Which means that when when light or radiant energy hits them, they can only they can only accept a very discrete package to jump from one state to another. So the whole interaction of radiant energy and atoms is all all discretized. It's all mm. digital processing. Mm. Um, I apologize. I'm getting off the off the theme here, but no, that's so fine. It, my point is that the rule is very the rules are elegantly simple, just yeah. beautifully beautifully simple, and. And even even when you form molecules, two atoms share share an electron, basically, which we don't quite understand how they do it, but they do it. And and that's a discrete thing. So so that can only happen between very specific atoms that that, that need that specific discrete value shared. Mm -hmm. I mean, you get down to a very simple set of rules that build atoms from, from, from quantum fields and molecules from atoms, and then they build everything else. Mm-hmm. And, and they're all based on this digital processing that's going on between the quarks, the the, the quarks and the electrons, and uh, and radiant energy. I mean, it is a it is a digital processing system that builds everything in this universe, and mm-hmm. it is just beautifully simple, beautifully elegant, unbelievably precise. And uh, it was discovered in the last. It was discovered within my lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, Murray John man discovered quarks, I think. 49 or 50, I'm 76 years old. This all happened within my lifetime. I mean, our knowledge base in 1900 was a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of what it is today. But worldviews like scientific materialism and atheism are based on that knowledge base from 1900.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Nobody has digested, some people have died, nobody has digested it's knowledge-based that has happened in the last 70 years, and the beauty and complexity of that, and how it totally shatters the accidental universe worldview.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Sorry, go ahead.
3: <laughs> well, well, you have. <laughs> yes, and, and on that very point, one of the main arguments uh, that are given by those with the accidental universe worldview is that there are these multiple universes, and that of all the multiple universes, you argue, uh, they say that it, it just happens to be this one where all the accidents aligned and, and came into the proper order uh, to somehow miraculously form us and reality as we know it. And, and, and it's a very flimsy argument when you look at that was, it.
0: That was one of the main arguments, reasons I wrote the first book because I thought that was absolutely the craziest thing I ever heard of. But, but let me tell you, the multi-universe folks, and, and there, are, there are lots of them, they, they, that's, that is their last hope right now. The bright atheists realize that what science has discovered, probability does not support an external universe in this world. So think what they have to do. They are desperate people. They they say, well, okay, it doesn't make any difference what we discover, how complex it is, how beautiful it is, how pointed it is, how focused it is, how much, you know, it doesn't make any difference. Because, you know, everything happens somewhere else. And it's a desperate, desperate stand by people who realize that their whole worldview up until now has just been shattered. So they, so they say, well, God, I mean, we we must have infinite number of universes, infinite copies of you out doing everything possible. Not anybody believe that. I'm not saying there couldn't be other Big Bangs, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Why in the world would they be? A, would they? Would they have different different laws? Different this? Different that? And why you know, and you know and oh by the way, why would they be there why why is the universe designed to have multiple big banks? It all gets back to a, a intelligent design, and uh, the multiverse is is the desperate grasp of the atheist to try to justify his atheism mm-hmm. right
1: One of the remarkable things about well the universe that I think you describe it Really well in the book over a progression of of these chapters because the the bulk of the book is these sixteen chapters on these sixteen um, like miracles or mirac or, or miracles or mysterious emergences of uh, of this information processing either uh, information processors or digital rules um, and as you, you go know,
0: Harrison, through the- Harris, let me interrupt for a second. Yeah, I almost almost I was the, when I wrote the book I was debating whether to make it sixteen layers of information processing or sixteen layers of mysteries and miracles. It's really the 16 layers are really the progression of more and more sophisticated information processing all the way up to a network of conscious minds mm. from this network of course, yep. all the layers in there. Uh, but I, in fact, I still am torn whether I did the right thing mm-hmm. because it, mysteries and miracles that do, do not really resonate with a lot of the scientific community. Yeah. But that's the way I wrote it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's, there comes a point where you uh, there's there comes a point where you can't really um, tailor things to to an audience that won't believe it either way right So there are people that no matter which one no matter which one you chose they wouldn't they wouldn't read it. It's like if there's a reception to the information then um, I think it's it's their own fault if they'll if they'll balk at the, the use of the word miracle or, or, uh, or mystery. yeah no problem but uh, that's all right. But the, so the progression that I wanted to talk about is, which you alluded to in, in one of your last answers is that because this is a, the universe is is this nested system of, of information processors and processing, one built on top of the other and and um, and ma- made possible by the ones below it, you, you get this well, each one is dependent on the other. So throughout the, the chapters of the book, you you often say, okay, well, if we take things up to this point, then there's nothing. If we just look at at this point in the the development of these in this information processing system, there's nothing inherent in the, in the system itself to imply that it should go any further. So we can get to we can get right. to galaxies, and it's like well, and we can just we can just leave it at galaxies. Um, why why do stars even need, need to even form? It seems like w- when you have the whole picture in mind, you get an idea of the purpose-driven nature of of the cosmos that each one is predicated on the other and each one seems to in some mysterious way um, imply the other but not based on the not based on well it's an implication that you can't see just by looking at the lower layer it's you can only see it once you have the higher layers let me say let me try to rephrase that in a different way um in case i'm not being clear enough so you no, have I think you've been very clear That's okay good. okay so so when go, you go see, ahead, but go ahead rephrase yeah. it if you want to. yeah i just want to say one more thing so if you if you see uh, a human the 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 human with all of all of its um, powers and possibilities is only possible because of looking at, looking down at the you know the structure of the brain the structure of cells the the the, 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 the all of the systems in the body like a circulatory system the the the, the spinal you know muscular etc all the organ systems all of those need to be there those are made possible by the by the DNA and the cells which are irreducible there's nothing in in physics or chemistry to necessarily imply the emergence of cells and um and dna but they make use of the rules of chemistry and the so the rules the rules of chemistry allow for the emergence or the possibility of cells and same thing going down you so you go all the way down and then you find I'm just basically repeating what you said earlier in a different in a different way when you get get down to the very bottom of quarks and electrons those very basic rules somehow those rules Allow for all of the things above, and to think that uh, to think that that's just an accident that those rules were that that, that there's just a happy accident that those those few specific information rules in those tiny clouds of energy somehow allow for all of these levels to just accidentally um, accumulate on top of the other on top of each other and build and incorporate the the rules of each level underneath them is just it's one of the um, when, when you see it in those terms, for me at least, it just—it's unbelievable that people can believe that that is accident, that there's no actual purpose in the universe, um, and that the, that it's, that that purpose isn't everywhere in each of those levels, one built on top of the other.
0: That's right. That's right. You know, you could you could study chemistry for your forever and never ever 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 get the idea that a cell is possible. Mm-hmm. We still don't know what life is and we don't know what consciousness is. We don't know what energy is, by the way. Yeah. You know, there are lots of miracles and mysteries in this in this 16 layers. But one thing you said is is all all the rules at the lower level, certainly all the rules at the lower level support the emergence of all this, but there's actually layers and layers of more and more sophisticated rules on top of that. Yeah. These these rules emerge, you know. Why do they emerge this way? Why, why, why does why is chemistry? You know, able to, to create eyeballs you know <laughs> I mean that's an incredible thing to have just the right right elements and molecules there that you can create this translucent eyeball with the lens and focusing and muscles i mean, my god
2: <laughs> yep. you know
0: you could never anticipate that
2: mm-hmm. you could
0: never ever anticipate that. so so my my thought is that my you know you're getting down back back to some, some things I don't really express in the book but but it isn't just a matter of creating the rules down at this level Whoever did this created the rules at all the levels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whatever did this. Whoever yeah. did this.
1: Yeah. The, or-
3: well, so along those lines, uh, what you point to ultimately as the, uh, as the highest form of emergence is consciousness, creativity, uh, the superpowers of the mind, uh, all of the, all of the various You guys
0: have read the book, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We
1: weren't lying. Yeah. <laughs> with,
3: with some interest. and. And that, that these, that these powers of the mind, uh, these abilities are, uh, the, the kind of ultimate fruition of intelligent design that our ability to even become conscious of and aware of ourselves as the designed, uh, as, as a a product of a, of a designer is inherent in the design, Ken, which was, uh, fascinating to me. And I, and I hope you can say that better and and flesh that out a little for us, because I think it's one of the, one of the most interesting points you make in your book.
0: Okay. Well, you, you said it very well, but I was, but taking a system engineering perspective, say you were going to design a universe. Well, you could design one that has galaxies and stars and suns and gorgeous planets. You know, you could design one that even has life with, with plants on them, with gorgeous plants on them. You could design one that had animals frolicking around beautiful. If somebody doesn't look at that and understand it and consciously appreciate it, if somebody doesn't actually isn't actually able to interact with that in a free will manner, not a robotic manner, I mean, I love my dog, but my there's things, there's things of my dog that are very robotic, you know. I, I we go in the same walk every day, feed her the same food every day, and then she loves me, you know. And if that was all the universe was, it would be meaningless, it would be pointless. There'd be no, there'd be. But once you give it free will and imagination and learning and curiosity and emotions, all of a sudden you've got meaning. Now, now stop and try to think, if you didn't have free will and you, you were robotically controlled by some instincts and you didn't have emotions and you couldn't care about anything, would the universe have any meaning at all? Would there be any purpose? The answer is, why, might, might as well not be here. Nobody would care, nobody would know, nobody, and so
2: forth. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, I think that I think free will and emotions are are the absolute apex of what could possibly make this thing meaningful and, and purposeful. And to get there, you got to have some pretty sophisticated senses, a remarkable memory, an unbelievable learning capability, and you got to have an imagination. Now we can go through. and I'm a computer scientist. I, I built systems that have sensors. I built all kinds of radar sensors, laser sensors. You know, you name it. You know, infrared sensors. It's incredibly hard to do. And we then try to interpret the imagery coming from that and try you know, in my line of work, it was try to find the tank, try to find the ship, try to find the countermeasure, all that, all that nasty stuff. But anyway, that is incredibly, incredibly hard to do. We've spent thousands and thousands of people for the last 30 years doing it. And we are still in preschool compared to what your eyeball and your brain can do. You wake up and look out and you, reckon, you know everything that's in your field of vision. You know what it is. You know what's history. You know, you know what's meaning to you. And you know if something's out of place immediately. Try to teach a computer to do that. That's, that's absolutely impossible. My point being, you know, that you've got these very sophisticated sensors. You've got a memory you can remember your whole lifetime from. It not, only, not only remembers, but automatically classifies. Well, I'm, I'm going to remember this. I'm not going to remember that. I don't put this priority on this. I'm not. You don't do that. It does it Somehow, automatically. And from that, you learn. Now, we can actually understand from computers how senses kind of work. We're building cameras and we, da, 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 da. we don't understand how the brain turns that into a living color picture that we understand. We understand how memories work because we build memories in computers. We understand digitally how memories can work. We, the, the, your memory works because something, something changes the structural, structural design of, one of, of, of neurons. You said, the neurons actually encode your memory, just like we encode memories in digital things. We understand how learning works because neural nets we, we can teach neural nets to learn i mean we are in the infancy of doing that but structural changes in the neural net cause you to learn and there's no question about that imagination free will curiosity emotions we have no idea and it's worse than that of course because we have no idea what consciousness is we have no idea why we can see in living color and, and surround sound this world what does the brain do to do that to, to say that's sophisticated is absurd, it's way, way beyond sophisticated. I mean, I was at the forefront of applying stuff to computers and putting in the noses of missiles and most exotic stuff we could ever done. We were in preschool, We, we couldn't even comprehend at all how in the world the brain takes the information coming in and converts it to this colorful thing we see. It gets even more interesting because I always lose my wife about right here, there is no color out there. It's just wavelengths. It's just digital information coming in wavelengths. There is no red and blue. There is no sweet and sour. There is no pain. The only place any of that stuff exists is it takes information in. There's real information out there, but it takes the information and it paints this picture for you to perceive. And uh, that by itself is pretty damn amazing. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> to say that, that that is the top of the top of this image processing chain? Well, hell yes, it's the top of the image processing chain. Nothing else comes close to it nothing comes close to it you start with quarks that are about two or three quarks down there talking to each other and you end up with people up here discussing things like this Mm -hmm. and and something in the book i want to to say for whatever audience we have here is that is that you look at the brain you know and people don't realize how complex it is you know there are a hundred billion neurons in there and they're all they're all digital digital components they they either turn on or off based upon the input they get and, and, and where they're at in the brain or the, or the nervous system. So you got these digital logic circuits that turn can turn on and off about 200 times a second. And, and that's doing all this digital processing at the neuron level. If you went in, if you went in the brain, think about this, the, the neurons are made of made, made our cells, they're made of molecules, they're made of atoms that are made of uh, quantum fields. If you took the quantum fields, the electrons and the quarks, and expanded them to the size of a marble, about half half an inch in diameter. Then an atom would be about, I don't know, like a, depending on the atom, it would be hundreds of miles in diameter. Now think about that. You've got these little tiny marbles in there that somehow create the forces that, that this atom obeys. It creates the information the rules this atom obeys, and it's a hundred miles in diameter with these tiny little marbles of energy in it. And of course, they're not really marbles, they're really pervasive fields, but we don't understand how it happens. And then you take the atoms and make a cell, like a neuron, a neuron will be tens of thousands of miles long with, if, if electrons were the size of marbles. And it would have thousands of inputs and perhaps hundreds of outputs. And they're all netted together in this 100 billion neurons that create your brain. And then the size of your brain, and people just absolutely don't believe this until they go through the math, would be 15 million times larger than our solar system out to Pluto. So inside 15 million. Science, so that's what you got. These all these thousand mile long neurons and these little tiny marbles, quantum fields, all, and, and it's all doing. They're doing constantly doing digital processing. The quantum fields can can make a quantum decision at about 10 to the 30th times a second. We don't really know exactly, but it's about that. Which means that's a trillion, trillion, trillion basically times a second. So you got all these little marbles in there do, making these decisions that fast. And then they then the. Atoms are making decisions, again, atoms, we don't know how fast they can make decisions either, but that, that, that's what runs our computers. We think we can get it up to you know, into 10 to the 20th or 10 to the 25th or something, which is a trillion and trillion. And then the neurons are making, this, all that's going on constantly with all these little marbles and this 15 million times bigger than the, uh, our solar system brain of yours. And the result of that is get these neurons that are making decisions 200 times a second. And the result of that is you can sit down there and watch a football game and drink a beer. I mean, isn't
3: that amazing? Quite. Anyway, so, so, sorry so about that. no, no. <laughs> that that's really a, a that was a a, um, a conception I was trying to grasp for myself when I was reading your book, and and I appreciate you flushing that out more because it really gives uh, gravity to the idea that there are these very very tiny uh, digital uh, elements or machines inside of a vast scope of, of greater, uh, information processing that, that does have some, um, informational input into this much larger, uh, context.
0: Yes. Well, it's based on it. I mean, it, it, it all, it all builds in layers. It's layers all the way from quantum fields to you and I sitting here talking. It's layers and layers of complexity of digital processing. And that realization was what can, and then you go to the math. And I, I'm basically a mathematician. You go to the math of the probability of that happening and it, by accident. It's totally, totally, totally. It's, it's absurdly impossible. It's not just impossible. It's absurdly impossible. Mm-hmm. And we haven't talked about DNA yet. I don't know if you want to go there or not. But yeah, sure. The...
1: Yeah, let's get into DNA.
0: Okay. Um, Probably everybody knows we, we discovered DNA in the 50s, you know, again, well within my lifetime. I was at least, you know, 10 years old by then or whatever. So it means all this is happening very, very recently. People aren't, people aren't digesting the impact this has, should have on worldview. But we discovered DNA in the 50s. And it's, you know you all know it's, it's a digital memory. It, has, it encodes the information in four-bit. Well, it's got 4 ladder steps, so it's four-bit arithmetic it has 3.2 billion ladder steps, so it has 6.4, that's 6.4 binary, binary instructions. binary. If you converted the base four to base two, it's 6.4 binary instructions, which is how we use our thinking computer terms. Six, 6.4 billion binary instructions, that's just a number. If you took that and tried to publish it in a book and put 50, 50 ones and zeros per line, 30 lines per page, 200 pages per book, it's 20,000 volumes. So a single little dot inside that single little little nucleus has equivalent to twenty thousand volume, twenty thousand volumes of digital information. Now we are learning, and the learning is going rapidly, but it's but 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 it's painful because up until the nineties, even two thousands, people, people we, they had discovered how DNA encoded proteins, and 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 the, the, so you actually have 20 amino acids and you have an address for each amino acid and you've got a... So the DM, a small portion of the DNA actually encodes the sequence of, of amino acids you have to put together to build any specific protein. And there are 20,000 proteins in the body. So when we first discovered, when, we, when scientists first discovered this back in the, back in the 80s and 90s, they, they actually said that they, these little protein coding sections were genes and everything else was junk DNA. Well, the protein coding section is less than 2% of the DNA information, and, but, but for 10s and 20 years, and still some biologists still call the rest of DNA junk DNA. They, they call genes, they call genes just a little tiny part that, encode, that code for the 20,000 proteins in your body. From an information system standpoint of view, that's ridiculous, it's naive, it's absurd. It takes a hell of a lot more information to build your body and your mind and your capabilities than a string of proteins. And in fact, it's been proven that that is like 1.5% of the DNA. There must be a hell of a lot more information in that DNA. That was obvious to me 25 years ago. And it was one reason I wrote the book, I was so upset that the biologists were still calling the rest of DNA junk DNA. I didn't, I didn't change their mind obviously with over here ranting in your corner, but, but recently they have changed their mind because they have, they have discovered in the course of all these genome experiments and all, all the research that's going into this area, now, There's there's tremendous amount of research in this area. They discovered that the RNA reads at least 80%, if not 90% of the DNA, which means it reads it and uses it in your body, which means 90% of those 20,000 volumes, which is some whatever, 18,000 volumes, is actually a digital program that defines your body, your shape, your capabilities, and somehow the cell reads that and builds you, you emerge from all that. There's still tremendous confusion in biologists, and I know a lot, and I, I talk to a lot, and they, and they don't, most of them don't agree with me. I say the information has to be, the information for your design has to be in the DNA. And they say, oh, there's junk DNA, there's information from outside the DNA, there's information from outside the cell. I don't think so. When, you, when, you, when you're conceived, there's one cell. Where is that rest of the information at? All the information that's going to create you is in that cell. Anyway wandering far afield here. <laughs> but anyway, so recently they've discovered that the RNA uh, reads at least 18,000 volumes, 85 to 90% of that DNA. And that's. And they're finally admitting that, which is a huge admission for the biology, biology community because it comes back to what an information system person might think. There has to be that much information inside that DNA. Now, the other remarkable thing about DNA right now is, is that... It's a remarkably sophisticated program. We are just starting to understand a little bit about DNA. And and I really say a little bit. I mean, people think it's giant steps. We are way, way, way way in preschool
2: understanding DNA.
0: But the remarkable thing is how sophisticated the program is. It's obvious that characteristics like your eye color, you know, the shape of the head, the fact that I got this big bald head and so forth, isn't one, one gene. The different parts of the DNA code have to cooperate to create characteristics in your body. We've proven this by different diseases. that You have to have several different genes screwed up and so forth and so on. So, you, so you've got, not it's not just a linear code like a programmer like me or somebody else would write. It's a code that somehow cooperates and inter- interfaces with itself and talks to itself. And that's not the really sophisticated part of it. The really sophisticated part of it is, is that, you know, you have, I forget how many different kinds of cells in your body. I, I'm going to misquote a number here, but so I might be making a mistake. I was thinking it was like 3,000, but maybe more. You know. But each cell is different, and each cell, you know, a skin cell, a muscle cell, a neuron, an eyeball, eyeball cell, and each cell reads, reads a different portion of the DNA. So you, before I say that, i got got back up a second. The DNA is just the memory. That's all it is. It's just a memory. It's not a computer. You've got to have something that reads the DNA and acts upon those instructions. That's what computers, computer systems, that's what our digital, that's how we design computers, our digital processing system do. We have a memory, we have something that reads the DNA and acts upon. That's what a digital processing system does. So what reads the DNA? Well, you the RNA molecule reads it and then it, it travels around the body. In it. But So the computer system is actually implemented in the cell itself. The the things, the structures inside the cell that build proteins and 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 do the defensive things and do and do the waste and control and do the nutrient thing all read the DNA and act so the cell itself becomes the digital computer the hardware that reads the software that's stored in the DNA. So the whole cell is a digital computing system. Now the really amazing thing is this DNA you've got these 18,000 volumes of instructions every cell. Every cell reads. So reads a, a skin cell reads a different portion of the muscle cell. The different and different skin cells read different portions. So they adaptively read different portions. So these eight, not only are these little cells computers, you effectively have you know 3,000 different computer systems. The different cells, a different computer. It's reading a different part of the DNA, and it gets worse because every cell. Say a skin cell has chemicals inside of it, hormones and nutrients and waste and whatever else. And so the state of that computer is time-varying. So you have the DNA being read by these, I say 3000, that might not be the right number, but 3000 but 3, time-varying time computers. And so now you've got, so whoever wrote this code didn't, didn't do the simple thing like we would do and write the code for one computer. The code works in 3000 different time-varying computers. And it created those computers. The code created skin cells. It created neurons. The code was so sophisticated, so smart, so intelligent, that it could take that first germ cell in the egg and create all these different computers and then program each one differently. Now, if you're a computer science and think it's a scientist and think you're going to go do that, <laughs> forget it. This is like playing N-dimensional chess, and N is a number we don't know how big it is. <laughs> you know, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And people, and so, but I've still got biologists who will argue with me that, by God, there's junk DNA, and oh, by God, it's all an accident, and 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 oh, you know, just survival of the fittest did it all. Impossible, absolutely impossible. Mm -hmm. You take all the all the cells that ever existed on the face of the earth, and said, let them flip their DNA and, and and make make a positive change in their DNA once a minute. You can can actually do this. You can capture the biomass that existed for three billion years, and and give it a give it a healthy margin. So you get more. You're being very generous. And the total number of probable trials is like 10 to the 60th. That's a huge, huge number. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: The number of trials to create one protein is like 10 to the 240th. It would be impossible to create one protein. Not alone, create your body, your mind, everything else, and oh by the way, create three thousand different cells that read this thing. I mean, the the claim that this is an accident is so mathematically absurd that these people ought to be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> they aren't ashamed of themselves. They say, "Oh well, I've got a multiverse somewhere." Yeah. And in the multiverse, everything happens.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and I thought. I thought I should throw that out the window. But anyway, all us, but that's a desperate, that's a desperate place for them to hide. Mm-hmm. And when they hide there, you can't, the one thing you've got to recognize is there's, they are throwing everything we learned about science. Every, science has learned all this in the last 70 years. They are throwing all of that under the bus and saying, oh, it doesn't matter. So they claim science supports them and they're actually throwing out everything because science doesn't support them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And saying, oh my goodness, you know, it doesn't matter because there's infinite copies, infinite copies of you out there. We're having this conversation in 50,000 50, different languages and fifty thousand different universes, or infinite number of universes. Absurd, absolutely absurd. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's now, my thoughts on DM.
1: I'm not a programmer, but I want to uh, I want to ask if this analogy might be somewhat accurate based on what you were saying. So, we have all of these different cell types, like thousands of different cell types, and the information for basically differentiating and. Uh, specifying each of those cell types is in one you know dna is in the the one dna code there it's all shared in that one dna code would it be would it be accurate to say maybe that the it it would be like having a a hard drive with a single code that has the instructions for like three thousand different different operating systems that run some programs that are the same between them but also have programs that are unique for each of those different operating systems is that
0: it's exactly similar to that. Okay. It's exactly similar to that. In fact, let me just give you one more analogy. We build uh, autopilots for missiles, and uh, the the missiles missiles sense you know how far what their what their velocity is, where they're going, da 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 da. They sense about 10, 15 different things, and depending on what they're sensing, they'll switch to a different autopilot routine, which is equivalent to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So, but the DNA, the, so the DNA does that. But but the amazing thing about DNA. Is again, you only had that initial one egg cell, which which, that DNA just gets replicated. You got the same DNA that you had in in your mother's womb, you know, in that one cell. So, but so that one cell had to not only program that hard drive, it had to create these three thousand different different systems. I mean, that just blows your mind when you stop to think about it. I mean, it it blows your mind. How in the world? Mm -hmm. But it's not just that. I mean, it's not just that. By God, I'm I'm amazed. You can apply mathematics and probability to it, and it is impossible that this was an accident.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, just like it said, it would it would be impossible for a for the computer that I described with that hard drive to just pop out of existence, you know, accidentally, right? And Absolutely. that and that computer that we would de- that a human might design isn't doesn't even approach the level of complexity that's in a single cell. That's right. So
0: that's right.
1: That's exactly it's right. totally crazy. Yeah. 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 Well. Um, I want to get back to one thing we, you briefly mentioned <clears throat> that uh, you discuss discussed in the book in various sections, and that is radiant energy. you talk about photons um and how they are carriers of information and maybe you could uh could you describe that what you mean by that because i because it applies from like the very bottom from these subatomic and atomic processes all the way up to our own vision so could you just tell us about light
0: yeah uh I can tell you what I know about life. Uh, actually, we've been focused on on the on the quantum fields and the atoms and the molecules. That's only part of the thing. They are they are in a sea of radiant energy. We are being we are we are in a sea of radiant energy right now. And radiant energy goes all the way from you know high frequency of sound all all the way up to light and x-rays and infrared and it's it's all radiant energy radar systems and so forth it's all all radiant energy bombarding you right now and of course we all know this you know we can encode information and send it send it into televisions and radios and radar systems your eyes take the radiant energy from the information coming from radiant energy as, as color and give you the perception of the world so but The thing that you got to understand is this isn't just it isn't just molecules, atoms and quarks, the you you are awash in the sea of radiant energy. and It is constantly and what does radiant energy do? It provides energy and information to molecules and atoms and quarks. So you've got this complete system where you got these you got these entities out there receiving and processing information and they are awash in a sea that is providing them constantly with energy and information. And energy is primarily in the form of heat. You know, without heat, you know, things stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. But information comes, Information, come, well, color is information, radar information. And, and, it, it across, and it's, the amazing thing is the bandwidth goes over hundreds of gigahertz, if not thousands of gigahertz. And as an engineer, we can come in and slice out any piece of that bandwidth, like we do with radar systems and infrared systems, and process the information in a very tiny piece of that bandwidth. And it's just one, you know, a couple cycles wide in something that's... Thins of billions of cycles long, and there's information in the whole damn thing, it's kind of amazing. Hmm.
2: Uh,
0: did that answer your question? I don't, I, I, yeah, I don't well,
1: well, that was a that kind of uh, approached it. Um, but there's so much more to it, right? Um, like, um, at one point, let me see if I've uh, well, at one point in the book, you call light um, something like a, a super efficient way of putting information into minds, and Um, I assume that's uh, that can happen in various ways. First of all, just through vision, right? Because, um, but I want to start at the bottom though, because when you have subatomic particles and and atoms, and they have uh, uh, they receive a photon, as you describe in the book that photon has to have, and we, we alluded to it briefly at the beginning of the conversation that, that photon has to have like a, a particular frequency, like a certain, it has to be its characteristics have to be exactly matched to, um, to what that atom or particle like expects or how it's programmed to respond to a, a very discrete set of information um, um, characteristics. So it That's has right. to be finely finely tuned in order to, so that, that, that photon gets shot at this at this atom, and then based on the profile of that photon, it will do you know A, B, or C, or you know it'll it'll absorb or or um, or split or merge whatever with with another atom or, or you know whatever. And that that similar process of um, of information transfer. So you have a source of information, you have the the medium through which it's transmitted, and you have the reception of that of that information. Then you have the, the processing of that information where it's actually transformed into something, which then transforms the information processor itself to change its own state. That process is universal throughout creation. So that's what happens with our vision. So all the way up to vision. Now we have light, we have photons, we have like um, photons and light reflecting off of surfaces and, and, and shooting highly specific um, varieties of information and, and, uh, and energy into our eyeballs that then gets translated into, into, um, neural, um, you know, signals that then somehow miraculously and mysteriously get, tra- get transformed into, like you said, color. And that, so just, just visually, there's a, a whole sea of information that we receive just in any, in any split second that our eyes are open but but it, it ha- but it, it applies on all levels um, so we have light hitting our skin and it's and it's doing things to to our biology and lights hitting plants and they're you know engaging in photosynthesis and right. and if you just look up in the sky so what what kind of expands my horizons is looking up into the night sky and realizing that there's all of this information from the entire like visible visible slice of the universe that's impinging on our our um, our world on the on the earth at any at any given time and it's just this infinite sea of information that is all being um somehow received by by everything like it's just it's an interactive system where every part is influenced by all these other parts that um and each part in itself is a highly specified information processing unit that that based on its own rules of construction will will respond to some slices of that information and ignore others and take some as infor- as important and and valuable and um and transmutable and you know others to to ignore and it it just just that that vision of light um like so many other parts of the book just make um like before, in the before we were talking or before we were recording, Alon was was mentioning how how in the book you you have you can you can read your passion in the book and your 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 own wonder and um and awe at the at the universe and just that just that vision of light for me that you that you describe in the book kind of gave me a little bit about that just to just to think that all of these photons are are packets of energy and information and at the bottom of it that's kind of what everything is. But it's so much more than that at the same time.
0: No, that's exactly right. It's a, it's a complete system, and it's, it's a beautiful system. It, it is. We've been talking about quarks and atoms and molecules, but you have got to wrap the radiant energy around it. Radiant energy is what it makes it work. Mm-hmm. And that's what you know. Without that, if you didn't have radiant energy and heat and information coming into these atoms, they would. We don't know what they would do if they went to absolute zero. We don't know what they would do. Mm-hmm. Radiant energy is the fuel. Both. In terms of the energy to do it and the information, so that they can progress up this chain of things. Mm-hmm. There is one other thing I'd like to talk about. I'd like to talk about, you know, the uh, what impact this has on worldviews. Yeah. And and values and so forth, because this is this is where I really cratered. You know, when I when it, when I realized this, I said, Oh hell! I've been I'm not only wrong about science, I've been wrong about my worldview, I've been wrong about my values. You know. Which is, it's kind of eye-opening for somebody who thought he was really bright when he was forty-five years old. But anyway, um, the big question in life is, you know, why are we here? You, know, you do what's going on here? <laughs> well, I opened a book of that passage about Katie, my, my three-year-old uh, granddaughter, who thought she was living in a storybook. And we said, "No, you're not." And she looked at me and said, well, "What is all this stuff?"
2: <laughs> I thought
0: that was kind of remarkable insight for a three-year-old. You know? What is all this stuff? We don't know what all this stuff is. Anyway. Uh, let see, where was I going? Golf got Katie and I forgot where I was going. Hang on for a so second. The worldviews and uh, re- changing gotta your values. Re- I got to reboot. But philosophy and science are, are the, the basic questions is why are we here? What should we do, be doing, and how should we treat each other? The, 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 those are the three basic questions. You know? And science can't answer any of them. Science can answer the design of what's going on. They can't answer the why. You know, we do not understand energy. We don't understand why, why. Why is energy here, and why does it take this form of these three little quarks and radiant energy? We do not understand the book I wrote, it, Mysteries and Miracles. We don't understand any of those transitional layers. You made the point earlier. You would not anticipate the transition to the next layer of any of the layers. We do, and we do not understand why they transition. We just we just do experiments and say, oh, they do transition, and we, and we think we understand it. We don't understand why they transition. We don't understand why, you know, why galaxies were designed to build stars, or why stars were designed to give stars. We don't understand why. We have we have done this reductionist scientific method going backwards and said, "Oh, that's how it happens. That's how it happens. That's how it happens." But each step, each step, the, the, there's no clue as to why it jumps to the next step. And, and when, when you look at the next step, it's clear that the next step anticipated everything that came before. To your point. The next step absolutely needed everything below it. The brain absolutely needs these corks in here, these little marbles doing the thing they're doing. So anyway, um, so my point is that science is a magnificent tool. I love science. This is not not, a scientific. This book should be attuned to what science has accomplished in its last 70 years. But science can't tell us why. And science science can't tell us how we're going to treat each other. And science can't tell us what to do. For that you need values and somehow we have been built with inherent values our emotions and our free will and, and there are people who dispute this <laughs> but but that what well, there's one section of the book that goes through this where you look at the re- religious philosophers the natural philosophers you know the the, uh, the, the I'm losing the terms, but the but the the philosophers who are materialists and so forth and so on, and all of them come back to the fact that there is a basic set of fundamental rules the way humans should interact, and it all comes back to love and compassion, and trying to do the best you can and 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 using this brain, these superpowers we've been given for blessed with, to actually learn and achieve and and, and progress. You know, I look at the, my career, and, and we went from not having computers, basically, to computers on a chip. You know, you're carrying a supercomputer in your pocket now. Mm-hmm. It's been a remarkable, remarkable 50 years. And humanity did that. You know, The progress we've made in the last 50 years, you know, we've been around for 100 million years, supposedly. And the progress in the last 50 is absolutely amazing. And it was all because of these superpowers we've been blessed with that we can actually understand this stuff and actually put systems together to do this. It's not like it was an accident that that happened. I mean, why why does math describe so much? Why can I do so much with mathematics? Why can I understand so much of what we just talked about with mathematics? And that's where it all came from. So, and why, given that, can I then go build these systems? And why are why, when we wanted to build a better radar, but we could go find a material for the antenna, we could find a material for this, we could find a material for that, we could find materials for faster computers, we could find algorithms. All the pieces were laying there. It was like a challenge put in front of us. It was like this is your challenge. We put you here with this capability. This is a challenge. You go. You go use this challenge to progress as fast as you can.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And why would you do that? Well, the sense of achievement in a, in doing something like that is fantastic. The challenge. The, the challenge. It, it, it's exciting. It's, it's it's just it's just wonderful. So. You come, I come back to the simple-minded belief, I guess, that you know what good would it be to create a conscious creature if you didn't create an environment that could challenge him? If you didn't, invite a, if you didn't create a playground he could play on? So not only did God create these multiple, whoever that is, by the way—and I'm not saying I'm not picking on any one God, but, but, but the intelligent designer, let's call him God, created this this thing we've been talking about that just blows your mind. But he got us here and we have the remarkable capability of communicating with each other so that I don't have to go back and learn everything from the basics. I can go take a PhD course and learn just about everything humanity knows. So we become one big learning, learning mass of networked minds. We, 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 have, we have a continuous capability to learn and progress and, and talk to each other and, and utilize all these tools, all this playground that he built into the system. To challenge us, to go to go be the best that we can be, and to, and to pro- progress as far as we can, and to build these societies, build these computers, and build Zoom for God's sakes, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and and we've done it, and we're doing it, and we're doing it faster and faster, and God only knows where it's going to go. I can't imagine. You know, I was a pretty smart guy, but I didn't realize. You friend of mine stopped stopped the open a computer shop. That's the dumbest thing in the world. People don't need computers <laughs> <That was laughs> back in the. So, I mean, you can't anticipate where we're going.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, but my point is that my point is that the whole thing has been structured like a huge playground, a huge adventure land for us with new rides. And we go ride that ride and we get smarter. And we, we We're able we to think about the next ride and build the next ride and ride that ride. And we keep on doing that. And, and this an analogy I like because it's an analogy that by God, the, it was built for us. It's so obvious that it was built for us. It's more obvious to a system engineer who's lived through the last 50 years than anybody, than probably anybody else, because we have built things that are unbelievable. This thing we're talking about is a direct result of all the work we did on miniaturized electronics for missile space. Anyway, but my point is you get down to values and there's all sorts of values. The atheists, in our society, we have a cultural war. Right now. We have a cultural war between uh, people are going to irritate it with me, but but the but the left and the right. Where what I classify the left as the atheist left, and the right as the spiritual right. Now there are different classifications, and there are some spiritual people over here, and there are some atheists over here. I understand that. These are broad generalities. But we we have a cultural war going on right now, and the people over on the left are atheists, so they believe that there's it's a meaning it's a meaningless, purposeless reality. So you know we're victims. We, are, we They paint they paint this as victims. And, and unfortunately, this is the state religion. This is the state religion we teach in our schools. That you are a victim of absurd, meaningless, accidental reality. And because of that, everything is relative. There's no such thing as truth. Well, I'm a system engineer who just built a whole generation worth of systems, and I'll tell you there is truth. with one was truth, you couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so over here, they're telling you there's no truth. Everything is relative. Your, your truth is what you think is true. Don't let anybody judge you. This sounds absurd, but I've got grandkids and they're in college. You know, I mean, it's impossible. You, you can't judge these teenagers. You, they said that you believe that, grandpa? Well, you're old, you know, you're gonna die off. We're we're gonna take your place, you know. Us relativists, we're gonna take your place. I'm afraid they might. That was one of the reasons I wrote the book, but mm-hmm. that was the reason I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so you got this cultural war going on, and you got these people who basically have no values. Mm-hmm. And the values, the values they have are the values that they make up, but they can make up any damn value they want. Mm -hmm. They can decide that rioting, looting is good. They can decide that murder is good. They can decide whatever they want is good. They have no morals. They have no grounding. They have no sense of values. But you go back and read philosophy, and I've read a lot, and and both spiritual philosophy and secular philosophy, and they all come back to, you know, by God, something very close to the Christian ethic, you know, that love and compassion and, and, and striving and setting goals and working hard. That's why we're here and creating families is why we have the nuclear family. You know, black Lives Matter, and bless my heart, You know I love Black, all lives matter, but the Black Lives Matter organization as part of their charters wants to destroy the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? The entire Western culture is built on a nuclear family. It takes crazy young teenagers who are just don't have a thought in their head, make some parents and all of a sudden, my God, their whole life changes. And they will make every sacrifice in, in life to make sure that that child has a good life and has every chance in life. That is the fundamental unit of a society, just like a cell is a fundamental unit of of life. If you don't have that nuclear family where people have values and want want to protect that child, want to protect their their community, want to protect their family, want to protect their nation, want to protect the world from these crazy relativists who have no values. My point is, I didn't create that. That was somehow built into the system. You know, this nonsense that there are 47 different genders, you know. There's a man and a woman and a family and, and children. And that's, that's the basic unit of a society, just like a cell is a basic unit of life. Mm-hmm. In that, there are value. The, 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 the inst- so God didn't only intelligently design all everything we've been talking about. He intelligently designed all of this. Mm-hmm. Who we are, what we should be doing, what we should value, how we should treat each other. And those values are slipping away in this crazy society that we have right now that's dominated by these basically atheistic socialist leftist intellectual group who've been around for hundreds of years. And finally, they're getting a voice here for I don't know what reason. I mean, you can read this stuff 300 years ago. They had the same thoughts back then. Mm -hmm. They've tried it in five or six different societies. They've all been an absolute total disaster. Mm -hmm. This will be a disaster too.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so... Everything you just said, Ken, was what I was one of my last questions for you, and, and you fleshed that out really well. And it's it's really incredible to think how an understanding of intelligent design or not uh, feeds into uh, these different worldviews and feeds into the nihilism and relativism and existentialism of a entire uh, portion of the population that is untethered that is unrooted in values that has no sense of wonder for uh why we're here and and how we were how we came to be and what the universe is and what may exist that may be higher than us and on that note i was wondering if uh outside of the the scope of your book you might comment on any speculations you have any thoughts you might uh, harbor on the idea that we, uh, that there is a, a kind of a spiritual hierarchy or, or level of intelligences that um, are responsible for the uh, insertion of information at these incredibly sophisticated levels that we're just now realizing the implications of? If you have anything to say on that? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I do. And, and, and this is so personal for everybody that, you know, it's easy to cross somebody's line here, but But I uh, I do believe that this whole thing has been intelligent designed, which means there's an intelligence to design. It could possibly have happened by accident. I believe that, you know, back to the point I was making earlier with Harrison is that the, It's not just the rules at the quark level. The, the rules at the higher levels were inserted. I believe that there's some form of evolution happened, but it was guided. It could not have happened by accident. So I believe that there was active involvement in the, in, the, in the structuring of these rules and active guidance by an intelligence. I think it had to be that way. I don't think some intelligence created the rules at the cork level and turned it on and, and, and they went away. I don't, I, you get up to DNA, that doesn't work. Because when you get to DNA, there are things happening that, that, that the fact that the cork rules were written one way couldn't happen unless they were guided but it gets beyond that you know do i have a personal god i would like to say i do but 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 you got to appreciate i was 35 years an atheist so i've been on both sides of this fence and really strongly on both sides of this fence Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so you know my my wife has a personal god she 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 prays she has experiences you know she she really feels it um i i believe I believe in in a God that has created this and guides it, and and it has done a, it has has obviously a compassionate heart because I think it's absolutely beautiful. I think that you, I can't imagine a more beautiful life than you can live if you try to. You can people are living some pretty miserable lives. So witness what's going on in Seattle right now, or whatever. So, but you know, I believe that the Christian ethics are absolutely inspired. I mean, I, I, I couldn't, you know, and back to the little chapter on philosophy, I think everybody who's gone off and tried to define how to interact with people comes back to a version of the Christian ethics. Mm-hmm. Do I believe in, you know, I, in the book I talk about religions having a story and having a set of values. Every religion has a different story. And to try to convince, them, convince their believers why they should be, you know, that particular religion. I mean, there are only, what, 15,000 religions in the history of mankind. It, and the story tells them why they should behave a certain way. Well if you take the story part of all the religions, just go look at the rule at the, at the rule part of the of religions. They are 99% the same. How to treat your family, how to treat your neighbor, how to treat everybody with compassion and love. you know but basically every religion has some form of the of the Ten commandments. In it. So I don't think that's an accident. I, I, I think I think God designed us that way. I think designed designed reality that way. Uh, does he influence us? You know, this gets highly speculative and non-scientific, but yeah, I think he does. I look at America and I, I think, you know, how did this country happen? You know, there's, you look around the world today and there's, you know, more than half the world lives under dictatorships and, and probably half of them are brutal dictatorships. where pe- People have no free will. They have no, they have no freedom. They just can only do what the government tells them. How did this little shining light on a hill happen? And it, it's... Yeah, again i'm getting far afield from your from your god question but i guess the answer is yes i believe that believe that god exists i believe god created this thing i believe he interacts with it i believe it's possible for a person to have a communication with with god Mm -hmm. Uh, but i don't necessarily believe in all the stories of all the religions i believe that a lot of that is manufactured by man Mm -hmm. i do believe in the rules and the morality that, that they express
1: I think that was really well, really well put, Ken. And to, to tie that in, maybe right before we close, because I think we're we'll 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 stop talking in just a few minutes. But uh, to tie that into your previous answer um, about worldviews and the, the lack of the lack of values in certain worldviews in the accidental universe worldview, um, just as in, in in so in any information rule set, there are certain things that work and certain things that don't work right? Certain things that are possible and certain things that are impossible. Absolutely right. And when you get up to the level of complexity of a human society, there will be a similar dynamic at play where certain, thing, certain, certain things work, certain things don't work. So the way you describe morality in the book is as a multi-generational, multi-generational experiment in like uh, morality building or testing reality. So um, a worldview is a and a moral system is a way of testing reality, and the the world will very quickly demonstrate to you whether your worldview works or not, because um, you might you'll you'll come up against a, a brick wall if it doesn't work, and I think that's what uh, that's what history tells us. That's what we can see when we study history. We can see first of all we can see which worldviews. Um, Survived and how well they survived and how well they thrived, and the ones that and we can see these universal values throughout history that have hung on because they work, and then we can see the trends of the the trends of philosophy and worldviews that make a really concerted effort to butt up their heads against the brick wall, and that's when we see like uh, the the communist revolutions in the twentieth century and uh, and the and well revolutions even before then before communism per se before Marxism where there is a confrontation with reality that results in a destruction of information in very literal ways you have the destruction of actual information in the forms of knowledge of books of learning of intelligent intelligent people of people who provide their societies with with values and information you have the destruction of pro- of property which is a which is an inf- informed matter basically that we have formed into a, a particular shape, a meaningful shape. You have the so the, the destruction of um, monuments and statues throughout all, all of these revolutions over history, and um the, and then the dist- the destruction of life and societies themselves. And if anything, I think that is the sign that this is a that these varieties of worldviews, which have a lot in common with each other over the over the years, are deficient deficient worldviews. They don't jive with reality. That the that they don't jive with the the information rules the the moral rules which is a type of information rules as you say in the book there is something um, something about them that doesn't work and it doesn't work in obvious ways that people seem to that the people who adopt these philosophies and worldviews don't seem to care about or realize when they either read history or ignore it.
0: No, I totally agree with you that there's there's an exception you can't ignore, and we've kind of ignored. it. That is the fact that evil does exist.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: And and uh, when you get something like a Hitler or a Stalin or a Mao or or, or any dictator, the the system has been tilted toward the evil side, and uh, and that's what I, it's. You get you know almost uh, these. Psychopaths run, running the world. You know? Yeah, and and that's a real possibility. I mean China's got what 2 billion people and, and they're run by a dictator You know, and if you watched that thing on TV last night that, that blind dissident talking about his his torture under the Chinese regime They have no respect for human rights or freedom um, The things we've been talking about today are the optimistic side of human nature that th- and, and I believe it's the system designed that way and I believe you know that america is a is a is a beacon of hope that we can progress down that path it would be very easy to very easy for evil and power to win yeah, and of course it won it's won in the past in most places it's won throughout throughout history it's been it's been the dominator people who control society the powerful this is one of the very few places where that isn't true it has not been true and and we're actually a very small percentage of the you know, of the world's population i the reason I wrote this book was to try to try to make it young people think about choosing between their worldviews between a spiritual worldview and this relativistic accidental universe atheistic worldview I think I think we're at a critical point in our culture I think we're at a critical point in the world I think we could very easily slip we could slip in this election into a, into the into the socialist side of reality and and if and if we slip into that then what happens you know it's 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 very scary so I, I agree with everything you're saying, and in, in that we've been portraying this positive. By God, everything's getting better and better and better. If evil and power went out, things will get worse and worse and worse.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Happy note to end on. No,
1: no that's a yeah. It, well, if anything, it's an, an inspiration to uh, to kind of take a look at our worldview and see if it might need some revising. So, if uh, if that's the case, then you know, for our viewers and listeners, we I recommend. Checking out Ken's book. You can get it on Amazon. Do you have any uh any website that you'd like to recommend, or just head to Amazon to get the book?
0: Just head to Amazon or Archway Press. Archway Press and Amazon both sell the book. So. Okay. No, I haven't done a website. In fact, in fact, I am I'm I'm a little bit uh, limited there. I I need to figure out how to do more social media type of advertising for the book.
1: All right. Well, so that was, once again, Modern Science Proves Intelligent Design, The Information System Worldview by Ken Peterson. Thanks, Ken. It was a, a blast talking with you. A real well, thank pleasure. You
0: guys. I, I, I had a good time. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And I was very impressed by your insights into this whole area. Thank you.
1: Great. Thank you. And uh, have a good day, and we'll be in touch.